Uh, let's dive into Genesis chapter 41. And so if you have a Bible, feel free to get Genesis. Genesis is the first book in your Bible. And we've been doing a character study on the life of Joseph. And so, you know, it's been a little while since we've been in Genesis. So I'll give you guys a little review, uh, you know, as we dive back in. So Joseph, uh, he's the bomb.com, right? Uh, we were introduced to him in Genesis chapter 37. And so we're almost done with, with, with four chapters in the life of Joseph. And yet we've seen 17 years of life lived in four chapters. It's a lot of life, right? And so, you know, thir or, no, 13 years. I'm sorry. We, he was 17 and we, we met him. So 13 years of life have uh, gone on in, in, in four chapters. And so now he's 30 years old and we've seen a lot happen in his life. So Joseph's upbringing was far from glamorous. Uh, you know, if we go back to the beginning, we saw that he came in uh, and, and grew up in a blended family. So his father had four wives, four wives and 13 children. This is a big family, right? And they moved around often. Uh, we saw that he lost his mother. His mother died at a really early age. Uh, we saw lots of, of drama constantly unfolding in his family. Uh, we saw that, you know, uh, despite uh, all of this, Joseph had determined to do what's right. He, he had a, a righteous mentality. He desired to serve God. He desired to, to protect purity. He desired to do things that, that were right, even when everything around him was leading him to do the opposite, right? And so we see that, that he was trying to live a holy and a righteous life. Uh, and, you know, despite all this, his brothers, they despised him and they despised him for, for multiple reasons. They despised him because he was trying to be holy. Uh, they despised him because he was the, the favorite of their father and, and they just hated him so much so that his brothers sold him into slavery. Like that's some real beef, right? Like that's next level. So they sold him into slavery and as a slave, Joseph was brought down into Egypt and, you know, as he enters into Egypt as a slave, his reputation begins to grow really quickly. Uh, he's working hard, you know, and instead of having this mentality of being down on his luck and just frustrated at life, we see that, you know, he, he takes lemons and he makes lemonade. And so he begins to work hard as a slave in Egypt. Uh, and he has a reputation of being an incredibly wise man. And he's quickly rising within the ranks. Uh, and he eventually begins leading the estate of Potiphar. And Potiphar is a big deal, right? He is a elite member of the, the royal court in Egypt. And, you know, so he, he's living large on the horse. He, he's leading the estate of Potiphar, uh, this uh, big deal in Egypt. And, and while things are going well, man, it seems like just the world, his flesh, the devil's all out to get him, right? We see that um, Potiphar's wife begins to try to seduce Joseph, right? Potiphar's wife, his master's wife is trying uh, to seduce him. And Joseph, we see, valued purity over pleasure. And despite doing the wrong thing, we find him wrongfully convicted and he ends up in prison. And, and here in prison, he, he hits rock bottom. And, and we see that God began to work all these circumstances, all these horrible things that happened to him to bring him to stand before Pharaoh, the king of Egypt one day, right? And so we saw Joseph go from prison to the palace uh, as God offered uh, an interpretation to Pharaoh's dreams. 
right? Pharaoh, he had these, these horrible dreams and he couldn't understand them. And, and, and he was losing sleep over it. What do these dreams mean? And so God allowed Joseph to interpret these dreams. And in doing so, he elevated Joseph from a prisoner to the second in command of all of Egypt. This guy's a prime minister, y'all. This guy's a big deal. Second in command in all of Egypt. And that's where we were the last time that, that I was here, at least. Uh, we were in Genesis chapter 41. We saw that he was elevated uh, to, to a new position, second in command in all of Egypt. And with that, he got a wardrobe change, right? Pharaoh was like, yo, we got, we, we got to update the attire. And so we see that he gets the signet ring, right? The Pharaoh literally takes off his ring and says, here, you got a signet ring now, right? And, and then the Pharaoh clothes him with this white linen. And then the Pharaoh throws on, like every gangster, a gold chain, right? He's got the gold chain. He's got the signet ring. Like this dude is just, it's awesome. Awesome. Um, yeah, but, but we see that, that in doing this, there's actually so much for us to learn. Uh, that, that God desires to make us a royal ambassador as well. And that this signet ring, it's not just some cool hidey tidy ring, right? Uh, this is the official seal of the king. And so with that, he has the authority of the king. Whenever Joseph speaks, whenever Joseph writes something, he signs that ring and it comes and it's spoken with the authority of the king. Hello, somebody, right? We are ambassadors. We're witnesses. We can say, thus saith the Lord and speak with the authority of the king. And that, that white linen, this is the same clothing that the priests were wearing in Leviticus, right? And that this clothing, just like we read in, in Revelation chapter 3, you know, God is calling this church of Laodicea to purchase of him white raiment, right? Because they're naked and they're wretched. And he desires for us to be clothed in his righteousness. Whoa. And, and as we work through this wardrobe, we see, man, God is calling us to something more. And so we see Joseph went through this incredible wardrobe change. He becomes a royal ambassador. He becomes a second man in all of Egypt. And then that brings us to, to where we're at now in chapter 41. And so we're going to be finishing chapter 41 today, Lord willing. And we're going to see uh, Joseph manage really the affairs of all of Egypt through both fruitful seasons and through a famine in the land. And I want us to see that Joseph's faithfulness to the Lord and being faithful to the Lord, he experiences emotional freedom from past drama and fruitfulness despite the card he was dealt, right? He experiences emotional freedom from past drama and fruitfulness despite the hand that he was dealt. And so picking it up in verse 45, it says, and Pharaoh called Joseph, uh, he, man, Pharaoh's renaming Joseph, right? Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zaphonath Paneah. Y'all didn't think I could say it, did you? <laughs> so he's renaming Joseph. Joseph is so easy to say, and he's renaming him Zaphonath Paneah. And we see that he gave him a wife, uh, Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On. And Joseph went out over all the land of Egypt. And Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went throughout all the land of Egypt. And in the seven plenteous years, the earth brought forth by handfuls. And he gathered up all the food of the seven years, which were in the land of Egypt, 
and laid up the food in the cities, the food of the field, which is round about every city, laid he up in the same. And Joseph gathered corn as the sand of the sea very much until he left numbering for it was without number. And unto Joseph were born two sons before the years of famine came, which Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, priest of On, bare unto him. And Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh. For God said, he hath made me forget all my toil in my father's house. And the name of the second called he Ephraim, for God hath caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. In the seven years of plenty, uh, plenteousness that was in the land of Egypt were ended, and the seven years of dearth began to come, according as Joseph had said, and the dearth was in all lands, but in all the land of Egypt there was bread. And when all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread, and Pharaoh said unto all the Egyptians, Go unto Joseph, what he saith unto you, do. And the famine was over all the face of the earth. And Joseph opened up all the storehouses and sold unto the Egyptians. And the famine waxed sore in the land of Egypt. And all countries came into Egypt to Joseph for to buy corn, because that the famine was sore in all lands. And so we've got a lot going on here. And I'll, I'll tell you right up front, there's no way we're going to get to, I mean, there's gold here, right? And so inevitably, we're just going to have to leave some meat on the bone. Uh, but we're going to dig in and see what God has for us here. And uh, man, you know, Joseph, he was elevated to, to second in command in all of Egypt. He was given a new wardrobe change. Uh, we saw that he was given a new chariot, right? This guy is sitting high. And it doesn't stop there. We see that he continues to be blessed by Pharaoh, right? He, he, he receives this favor from Pharaoh, and Pharaoh gives him a new name. His new name is Zaphonath Paneah. Uh, we see that the Pharaoh doesn't stop there. He also gives him a wife from a highly respected family within the, 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 the country of Egypt. And, and in short, we can say that Joseph is prospering in Egypt, right? This dude, he's making it there. And like last time, there are insights that we can take away to prosper in our Egypt, right? As we study the Bible, we see that Egypt is this beautiful type or picture of this world system. And, and y'all, we have to remember that this world is not our home. The, the Bible tells us that we are aliens, that we are sojourners here in this land. We're called to be in the world, but not of the world, and so what can we learn from Joseph? He, he successfully navigated the terrain of being in the world of Egypt, and yet he, he was not of the world of Egypt, right? The world is always scheming and trying to get us to be conformed to its image. And so we have valuable lessons to learn from Joseph on how to prosper in this world. Particularly, I want us to see that Joseph's faithfulness to the Lord led him to emotional freedom from past drama into fruitfulness in this season. And so our key point number one is that the world will try to conform you. This world will try to conform you. And y'all, it's subtle. It, it is so subtle. Again, the enemy, he is subtle. And his chief mode of operation is in the realm of ideas, 
right? In the realm of ideas and beliefs. It's the stronghold of the mind where a threefold attack from this world, your flesh, and the devil is being launched. And here we see it. It's after great success that we are most susceptible to fall. And so Joseph, again, man, just elevated to, to second in command of all of Egypt, right? He's had great success. And it's here that we find him most susceptible to fall. The enemy is all too willing to bless us with the things of this world in order to subvert our focus from the things of our Lord, right? He's more than happy to give you your dream job. He's more than happy to, to make sure that, that you've got a 401k. He's more than happy to make sure that you've got that girlfriend or boyfriend, whatever you desire, whatever you want, whatever can, can make you focus on the things of this world and not on the things above, right? And so here we see Pharaoh give Joseph an Egyptian name, right? Man, just be like us. Joseph, uh, let's give you an Egyptian name, Joseph. Let's make it a good one too. Zaphonath Panea. Mm, yeah, it just it has a ring to it. Zaphonath Panea. And, and y'all, you know, as I was studying this out, I'm no linguist, uh, but there's two definitions of kind of this word that, that people kind of argue between about what it means. Uh, some scholars will say that uh, the, 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 the Coptic language, that the Egyptian language, uh, the, the rendering of Zaphonath Panea means savior of the world. That's a baller name, huh? Uh, Joseph, that doesn't have a ring to it. What about savior of the world? <laughs> Sounds good, right, Joseph? Uh, and, and others will argue that it means revealer of secrets. Ooh, it's a little bit more mystical, right? Hey, no, not, not Joseph. Your name could be revealer of secrets, right? And, and so we see Pharaoh is trying to, to rename him. And, and, you know, these are clearly their, their flattering titles, right? They're, they're very, very flattering titles. And while this is meant to enhance the reputation of Joseph, the reality is that these attributes are not true of Joseph, but they're true of his God, right? And Joseph says, man, I can't interpret this dream, but my God can, right? I'm not the savior of the world, but my, but my God is. And so as much as they're trying to, to butter Joseph up, as much as they're trying to to, to, to get Joseph to acknowledge and to receive this new name, man, these attributes are actually true of his God, not of him, right? And I want you to notice that Joseph is not once referred to as Zaphonath Panea beyond this point, right? And in the rest of scripture, he's never referred to as Zaphonath Panea. He's only referred to from here on as Joseph, and it's so interesting because unlike Abram, who becomes Abraham, unlike Daniel, who becomes, anybody know? Belshazzar, right? Like we see these people that are renamed in the Bible all the time. We, we, we get Jacob, who becomes Israel, and, and the list goes on and on. Unlike any of these other guys, he, he refuses to embrace, he refuses to accept, he refuses to go by this new name that's given to him by the king of Egypt, right? Instead, he continues to go by his original Hebrew name, and he seemingly rejects the name that the world gave him. Wow. 
And y'all, this is huge because the world is rapidly trying to change your identity. And it's everywhere, right? They'd much rather you identify by your skin color, by your gender or sexual orientation, by your political party, uh, with, with any of these things over the identity that God has given you. But we can't let this world change our name. If you have been bought with the blood of the lamb, then your chief identity is child of God, right? And man, you know, my identity as a black man, that, that can be a good thing, but it can't be the main thing. And, and I see over and over again, you know, people choosing to identify by, by these things of the world, they're good. Some of them are good, but they're sneaky and they're subtle and they seek to subvert the, the main thing, right? Man, I'm, I'm a servant to the king. You know, you look at how Paul identifies himself uh, in so many uh, of these epistles that he writes. And man, I'm just a slave. I'm, I'm a servant. <laughs> you know, I'm the least of all pot. Like this guy is humble pie. Who am I except a servant to the king, right? So we see that, that he's given a new name. And man, the, the world would love to just subtly come in and to change your identity. Man, yeah, he could be Joseph second, but Zaphnath Panea, like savior of the world? Let's embrace that title. Nah, nah. We see Joseph is also given a Gentile bride, right? He's got a new bride. And this is actually really beautiful because it perfectly typifies Jesus Christ, who also marries a Gentile bride called the church, right? We can go to Ephesians 5, and we can see that Jesus Christ marries the church, which is primarily made up of Gentile believers. And so we continue this, this beautiful picture of Joseph typifying Jesus Christ. But notice that she is the daughter of Potiphera, priest of On. And he would have been uh, a priest to the sun god in Egypt, which would have been the most powerful, the most prestigious, uh, the most recognized god in all of the land of Egypt. Right? The, the daughter of the priest of On was given to be wed to Joseph. And so surely this arranged marriage uh, would have had some political maneuvering behind it, right? We see Pharaoh was trying to make sense of, uh, you know, the, this new faith that, that Joseph had brought into Egypt. Joseph's God, he, he just acknowledged in verse 38, he said, uh, Pharaoh said unto the servants, can we find such a one as this uh, is a man in whom the spirit of God is. That's what he says about Joseph. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, for as much as God has shown thee all this, there is none so discreet and wise as thou art. Right? So he, he sees the reality of Joseph's God. Man, he's powerful. He, he's wise. There's none so discreet. There's none so wise as you are because of, of this revelation by your God. And yet, what will Pharaoh do with this faith? You know, he, he's got the, the, the old Egyptian religion, the, the, the religious system that built Egypt. Will the people revolt if, if they catch wind that, that he's ushering in the secondhand man with a new religious system? 
Like there's a lot that's riding on this. And so we see him coming in and trying to, to, to blend and trying to, to compromise and trying to subvert the faith of Joseph. Hey, how about you just marry the daughter of the priest of on, you know, your God and, and our God, how about we compromise? Are you seeing how subtle this is? Like, it's so quick to overlook. Like, oh, man, good. Joseph's getting blessed up in Egypt. Yeah, he's getting a new name. Hey, Joseph, forget that Hebrew name. Let's make you Egyptian. Hey, I got the perfect girl for you. I mean, check this out. Her dad's a priest too, Joseph. Are you seeing this? How subtle this is. Man, this world is trying, man, just a little compromise. It's just a little here, a little there. Let's just draw you our way. Are you seeing it? And yet we see that Joseph's faith is not shaken at all. He continues to walk in the confidence of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he continues to walk in it as strong as ever. So much so that despite Egypt trying to conform him, Joseph does not abandon his, his, uh, his Israeli heritage. He even gives his two sons very characteristically Hebrew names, right? Ephraim and Manea. Um, and key point number two, we see that uh, this world wants you to coast on comfort. So man, this world is trying to conform you, but it also, man, just wants you to coast on comfort. We see that, that Joseph's been working his tail off for the past 13 years, from a slave to prisoner, and finally Joseph's large and in charge, and it's time to kick his feet up and relax, right? He made it. He's the boss now. He's got the big desk. One would think that Joseph would take time to indulge himself in the benefits of his office, but the testimony of Joseph is that he went straight to work, Right? He immediately leaves the presence of the Pharaoh and starts walking into the, all the land of Egypt. Right, Joseph was a wise steward, and he was not passive in his stewardship. He was not passive in his stewardship. He left the comfort of the palace, leaving the presence of Pharaoh to be hands-on in the work that was given to him. Right, He, he didn't rule from the palace. He got down and dirty in the fields. Right? Now that he made it, it wasn't time to relax, but to be in the fields, managing the work that's been given to him. When it comes to ministry, uh, when when it comes to our jobs, we we just can't afford to live our life on autopilot. In Proverbs 27, 23, it it calls us to, to be thou diligent to know the state of thy flocks and to look well on thy herds. Be diligent to know the state of your flocks, to, to, to look well on the herds, right? This is calling into question our stewardship. Hey, man, you can't go into autopilot at your job. You can't go into the, the autopilot in ministry. You can't just show up to church. And you should come prepared. You should come diligent. You should come studied up. You should come ready to minister, right? We should be hands-on in the work that God's given us. Our mentality can't be, you know, just clocking in and clocking out. Uh, it can't be showing up to, to ministry willy-nilly. Uh, we can't just, like, get in the habit of just showing up late all the time. Like, there are practical things in our life that need to be in place for us to be practical, good stewards of our jobs, of our families, of our households. 
and of our ministry, right? And we have to take this seriously. We have to take this seriously. This is a work that God has given us. And so we have to own it. We must be diligent and we can't grow complacent, right? It's in this season, man, I've made it. It's so easy to kick back and relax and just coast, right? But, but we see Joseph buckle down and get to work. There's a harvest at stake. Do you see that? There's a harvest at stake. There's souls at stake. Joseph worked hard and was successful in his work for Pharaoh. How will we work for our king? A second aspect of Joseph's stewardship is revealed in the way that he stores up food. And I won't belabor this point, but in a plentiful season, Joseph was wise to live below his means. Not within his means, below his means, right? Man, it was going gangbusters. It, it, it says that it was bringing forth by the handfuls. Man, just like everything's growing. It's crazy. And, and we see that, that instead of living within the means, man, life is good. We're making a bunch of money, so let's ball out. He's like, nah, let's live below that. Let's live below our means. And man, this is a, a big deal. And this is a, a huge principle. We can't be covetous. We can't be lovers of money, right? We, we get to, to use the resources that God's given us, but, but we can't be guilty of abusing them. In 1 Corinthians 7, verses 30 through 31, it says, and they buy as though they possess not, and they that use this world as not abusing it. Why? Because the fashion of this world is just going to pass away. It's going to pass away. This world is passing away and its pleasures are temporal. So rather than being gluttonous and indulging, uh, we get to, to, to use this world, but, but not abuse it. The Lord, you know, he's just been dealing with me in, in this area in particular. You know, I work in luxury jewelry. And so I work in, in a realm of luxury where everything's loud, where everything's big, where everything's expensive. And man, I enjoy the finer things in life. You know, man, who doesn't, Pastor Sam says, who doesn't like a ribeye, right? My bank account doesn't love ribeye. That's who doesn't love ribeye. But y'all, I, I enjoy these things, but it, you know, the more and more I consider, the more and more I think about it, the more and more I reckon it just doesn't make sense. I can't justify continuing to, to live the, the way that, honestly, that we've lived. We, we've lived very comfortably and we've spent money very frivolously, Right. It's like, man, Lord, I know that you desire to use this for, for your kingdom and for your glory. And, and you know, the, God's just been dealing with me and the way that we steward our finances. Because, man, it's a reflection of how we steward everything else in this world, right? Especially those spiritual things. And so, you know, me and, and Brian, we, we met up for, for breakfast. And where'd we go, Brian? Mickey D's. <laughs> Y'all, Lydia thought that was so funny. I don't, do y'all know Lydia, Lydia Powers? Lydia thinks I'm bougie for some reason. I'm like, yo. And so I got to prove y'all wrong, right? Below the means. First uh, John 2 verse 15 says, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not of the Father, but it's of the world. And Luke 12, 31, it says, but rather seek ye the kingdom of God 
and these things shall be added unto you. Second Timothy chapter two, verse four says, no man that warreth entangle himself in the affairs of this life, that he may please him who has chosen him to be a soldier. And you see that the purpose of our resources is to free us up to do more for Christ, right? Not to do less. It's not to, to, to put us in bondage to the things of this world. Joseph, he's storing away in the time of plenty. And as you study it out, he takes one fifth of everything and he just throws it in the bank. 20%. This dude is storing away 20% of the harvest for times of famine. So that when hard times come, he's got a way to, to continue in the work, to provide, to minister, and ultimately to save the world. Hello, somebody, right? This guy desires to be used of God. Are you someone that, that, that spends all that you make? Do you live paycheck to paycheck? God has called us to be wise stewards. We can't grow complacent in managing our resources, right? And so it's not just your, it's not just your money, it's your time. It's your talents, right? How are you investing the whole of your life? How are you managing the whole of your life for God's glory? This is a very simple concept, but a wise steward must be wise investors, right? A wise steward has to be a wise investor. And y'all, God's like, yo, how can y'all not get this? Just look at the ant, <laughs> right? It says, consider the ant, thou sluggard. Just look at these ants. How are they preparing? It says, consider her ways and be wise, which having no guide, right? Mom and dad, your boss, your, your, your spouse, but there's no guide, overseer or ruler. And yet she provideth her meat in the summer and gathereth her food in the harvest. Hey, why don't you just work like the ant? Work when, you know, when there's work to do. In Proverbs 21 verse 20, it says, there's treasure to be desired and oil and the dwelling of the wise, but a foolish man spendeth it up. And let's invest in, in the riches of this word, right? Let's spend our time. Let's use our resources wisely instead of just spending it up frivolously. Key point number three, the world wants you to suppress past drama. Oof. Like what? We were just talking about finances. <laughs> <clears throat> So here we see in the midst of these seven years of plenty that Joseph's sons are born, right? And we see the first is named Manasseh and the second is named Ephraim. And these names have profound significance. Uh, first, they're, they're characteristically Hebrew. Again, he's not allowing the world to conform him. So he chooses to name his first son Manasseh. And Manasseh means forget. Like what, he forgot his son? No, he says that he names his first son forget because God had caused him to forget all his toil in his father's house. And the second is named Ephraim, meaning fruitful. And he names his second son Ephraim, meaning fruitful, because God had made him to be fruitful in the land of his affliction in Egypt. Instead of suppressing past drama, right? And instead of suppressing and harboring these feelings of bitterness and envy and anger towards his family for, for how they treated him, for, for becoming a slave, for, for being thrown into prison, we see that the Lord forces Joseph to deal with it. Right? Hey, man, let's stop. Like, you got to deal with this, Joe. Right? Let, let's look at this. 
And so here, actually, in this passage that we've been studying, uh, there's something called a chiastic structure. And, and a chiastic structure is often used in, in Hebrew literature. And it's just a structure so that you can see clearly what the main part of the text is. God's saying, hey, I don't want you to miss this. So I'm going to use these parallel ideas to lead to the main point. Right? And so you can see the, the, the bookends of the, the passage all lead to verses 50 through 52. And God's like, hey, I don't want anybody to miss this. So, so clue in. I'm going to parallel these ideas so you can see what's at the very center of it. And at the very center of it, we see the testimony of Manasseh and Ephraim. Because God does not want you to miss what he's trying to communicate through the testimony of Joseph's two sons. In the midst of all of this, Joseph has sons. And his testimony is that God caused him to forget not all the awful things that happened to him, not the events, not, not being sold into slavery, not being wrongfully imprisoned, not, not to forget the events that took place, but the toil, the emotion, the, the, the bitterness, the pain. I don't feel that anymore, right? How good is God? The Lord allowed him to deal with his feelings of bitterness towards his family. And he allowed him to deal with this bitterness without his family even being present before he would ever see them again, right? And we're going to see that God is actually preparing him to receive them in the next chapter. Hey, but Joe, before they come, you got to deal with this. How good is God? How good is God? God brings him to a place of forgiving them in his heart before he'd ever have a chance to forgive them uh, in person. <clears throat> Manasseh, uh, we see, precedes Ephraim. And again, uh, Ephraim means fruitful. Ephraim means fruitful. And it's in forgiving and forgetting that brings fruitfulness, right? So many of us in holding on to, to bitterness and anger and these things that, that actually cause division instead of unity, we're actually holding out on our own personal fruitfulness in this life. God's saying, hey, I can't actually bless that. I actually died to unite that, right? And, and so God's even teaching us in the order that he's naming his sons. Hey, man, you actually got to forgive them so that I can make you fruitful in this land. Wow, right? This is beautiful. And God blesses unity, but divisions and schisms and relationships, they, they kill fruitfulness. They kill fruitfulness. And anybody that was with us on, on Tuesday night, you actually got to hear testimony of that. Uh, if you weren't here with us, I encourage you to listen. We're studying the book of Philemon. And man, when we allow schisms, when we allow divisions and, and in our life, in our relationships, it, it, it kills, the testimony is it kills fruitfulness in our lives. And there's no room for that, right? Right? We want God to, to bless this work and this ministry. Oh, man, we're running over. Uh, key point number four is that this world wants you to starve in the famine. This world wants you to starve in the famine. Uh, note Pharaoh's words to a lost and dying world was go to Joe. Like, yo, Pharaoh, what do we do? It's like, I don't know. You should go see Joseph, <laughs> right? And, and, and what he saith to you, do it. Hey, whatever Joe says, 
do that, right? And that's what God, we, we see, he echoes the same thing to his disciples from the, the, the Mount of Transfiguration where he's saying, man, look, look, look at my son. You can look at Matthew 17. He's saying, listen to him, follow him, do, do what he says. Here, Joseph alone is seen as giving the bread of life to a dying world. And he becomes this beautiful picture of Christ who is the true bread of life. It becomes a beautiful picture of Christ who is the true bread of life. In John 6, 35, it says, And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. Shall never thirst. I want to point out that two of Joseph's, inter- two of Joseph's interpretations have come true so far in the story. Right? We can look back on... Uh, the, the dreams of the butler and the baker. And we saw that the fate that Joseph interpreted came true. You guys remember that? The butler and the, the baker. The baker didn't fare so well. The butler was restored. And what Joseph said came to be. His interpretations came true. Uh, but we also see uh, here, uh, he is living in his prophecy that God is going to bring Seven years of plenteous, followed by seven years of famine. And all this would serve as confirmation to the dream that Joseph experienced as a child. You guys remember that first dream that we saw in the story of Joseph? All this would just be serving as confirmation that, God, you are working this thing out, right? That I can trust your word. That I can trust the word that you gave to me, even when I was 17 years old right? 13 years have passed, and he can continue to have confidence in the word that God gave him as a child. And so we see that that God is causing all these things to be true. In anticipation of God's promises coming true, Joseph forgave and forgot the toil of his past, right? He forgave and forgot the toil of his past so that he could humbly receive his brothers whenever they come. We would be wise to learn from his example right? That we might be fruitful, even in the face of affliction. This world is trying to conform you, to rob your identity, to make you complacent, and to kill your fruit. And yet, we have a beautiful testimony of faithfulness through the life of Joseph. And y'all, his faithfulness is always paired with thankfulness. Lord, I, I want to name my son something that shows my thanks to you for removing the toil in my life, for making me fruitful. Thank you, God, as a testimony before the whole world. Wow, right? Would be be faithful, but also would we be thankful? And so with that, I'm going to pray, and we're going to close, and we're going to break into discussion groups. Maybe we have five minutes to pray or to, to discuss, or we can stay afterwards and chat. Uh, but thank you for letting me just share uh, out of God's word some things that, that stood out to me. And I pray that we can look at the testimony, the example of Joseph's life. It's a very, very practical life that he lives, right? It's like, man, I, I see this. And Lord, I, I need to, to live like Joseph. Man, Joseph lived like Christ, right? And so if you've never met Christ, if you don't know who he is, uh, I'd love to, to, to introduce you to a man that changed my whole life. And so come chat with me afterwards. Uh, but Lord, uh, we want to thank you for the example, for the life of Joseph. And Lord, we desire to, to apply the principles from his life 
that we too can be fruitful. Lord, that, that we too can overcome the, the, the toil of our past. And so, Lord, uh, we thank you for the life of Joseph. And we pray that, that the things that were preached were true to your word, Lord, and glorifying to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.